Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 17 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. I'm your host, Luke Halgerson. You know how it works. Five topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. People, do we realize on this beautiful July 16th day in the year of 2020 that we are just two weeks away from the NBA season restarting? Two weeks! Two weeks to the day, we're going to have the restart opening night. Utah Jazz against the New Orleans Pelicans for Game 1. Game 2, Los Angeles Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers. It's about to get going. Just two weeks away. I cannot wait. That's why it's the first thing that I want to talk about. Is a few things that I think we need to really focus on when it comes to the restart of the NBA season. Not just the fact that they're in the bubble there in Orlando. Not just the fact that we are going to crown an NBA champion this year. I'm talking about a few other things. First thing about it is the race for the eight seed. Six teams are in the race for the number eight seed in the Western Conference. That'd be the Memphis Grizzlies, the Portland Trailblazers, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Phoenix Suns. If you want You could even say Dallas is technically in that race, though the Mavericks only need one win and one Memphis loss to clinch no worse than the number seven seat. So unless Dallas goes defeated in their all eight games, which won't happen, Luka's too good. That's not going to happen. So really, six-team race for that eight seat. That's big time. That's crucial basketball right off from jump. Right from opening night with the Pelicans against the Jazz. It's must win at this point for all these teams who are trying to fight for that eighth spot. All of them. Every single one. There are seven games where those six teams will go head-to-head. Including four featuring the Pelicans. Who play Sacramento twice, Memphis once, and San Antonio once. The other games are Sacramento versus San Antonio. Memphis versus San Antonio. And Portland versus Memphis. Phoenix doesn't play any of the other five teams in the race for eight. Grizzlies, as of right now, have a a three-and-a-half game lead over Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento, along with a four-game edge over San Antonio. So it's not going to be handed to Memphis. they got to go out and win games. The rookie of the year, John Morant, has to secure that spot himself. I think John Morant's the rookie of the year. I don't even think that's a debate because Zion has only played what, 17, 18, 19 career games in his entire NBA career. Jaw played a full season, was by far the best rookie. He's going to win Rookie of the Year, but Portland's going to be dangerous. Nurkic is coming back. Josh Collins, he's coming back. That just adds to Portland's depth, not to mention they already have the second best point guard in the league in Damian Lillard an all-star caliber player in C.J. McCollum, an old head in Carmelo Anthony who's looking very thin at the restart and should be in great shape. They already have Hassan Whiteside. They're going to be dangerous. Portland is going to be dangerous. I, I just It's fantastic how this is going to set up. It's just crucial basketball from the jump. 
in the Western Conference. And I guess the East, there is a little bit of a race, you know, to the top. I'm, you know, I don't think any of these three teams are relevant, to be perfectly honest with you. Brooklyn has, holds the seventh seed right now. Orlando's the eighth seed. And Washington somehow got the invite to participate in the restart. I think they could have been left out. Because the East is decided. No way Washington catches them. Bradley Beal's not playing. There's no way that Washington has a chance. The only thing that's interesting of these three teams is Orlando might be able to jump up to the seven so they don't get swept right away by the Bucs. Whoever gets that eight seed is getting swept right away by the Bucs. That's the only way. As of right now, uh, Brooklyn holds a six-game lead over Washington. And um, Orlando is up five and a half games. Over the Wizards. So the seventh spot is up for grabs. Seven spots up for grabs. And with the injuries and the amount of players that the Nets are missing, uh, I like Orlando. I like Orlando moving up to grab that seventh spot. So make it happen, Orlando. Another big storyline that we got to look out for is these magic numbers. Teams to clinch. They still got to decide playoff seeding. Don't just think everything's just set in stone and nice and easy going. Milwaukee needs a combination of two wins or Toronto loses um, or Toronto losses to clinch the number one seed in the East. Uh, Lakers need a combination of three wins or Los Angeles Clippers losses to clinch the number one seed out West. Denver also has a mathematical chance to get that one seed in the West, but that would require them to go undefeated 8-0 in these eight restart games and for the Lakers to go 0-8 yeah that's just not happening I don't think either of those things are going to happen but uh there's a lot to be decided here playoff seating is very important obviously there's no home court advantage but it comes down to matchups when you're playing teams home court you know completely gets thrown out so I think a couple teams are going to be in trouble with that but the season has yet to be decided as far as how the how these teams are going to match up against each other and I think there's a lot of great matchups across the board throughout the whole conferences um if you just look at it right now most of the races at Disney will be four seeding Milwaukee can't finish lower than the number two seed in the east Toronto only needs one win to be assured of a top four four spot the West can still see a lot of makeup. With four four games separate the second seed from the sixth seed. And it only two and a half games separates fourth place from seventh. Th- that's it. The margin for error right now is so minuscule. These standings are so close. So close. Now, I do believe the Lakers will get the one. But... Out west, anyways, but how the rest of the conference shapes up, it, it could go a number of ways. It really could. Clippers hold the two right now. They have a one and a half game lead over the Denver Nuggets, who are the three seed. Nuggets only have a one and a half game lead over the Jazz, who are only back three games from the Clippers. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder are just a game back of the Jazz. They have the same record as the Rockets, but due to the tiebreakers, the Rockets are currently the sixth seed. And the Mavericks are just, I guess, you know, five and a half back from the two seed. I don't think they're going to move up that much, but they're only two and a half back from the four. It, 
it's close. It's a close race in that Western Conference. It, these games matter. And I think that was a big part of why this bubble restart needed to be so important. For get, They couldn't just bounce right into the playoffs. Like They need to work out seeding. There was still a lot of season left to go. We still had a decent amount of season, so I think they did a right job calling for eight games and, you know, still need to decide the seeding. As far as the Eastern Conference looks, you know, I think the Bucks are going to Bucks are going to lock up the the one seed. But past that, Toronto and the Celtics, Celtics are only 3 back. They're the 3 seed right now. They're only 3 back from Toronto. Now, it goes a bit farther back from there. Yeah, you know, the Heat are two and a half back from the Heat for the third seed. The Heat are currently the four. The Pacers are just two games back from the Heat at that five seed. And the 76ers are tied with the Pacers right now, but due to tiebreakers, they have the sixth seed. A lot of these teams, it's it's gonna play out very nicely. You know, will Olin Depot play for the Pacers? That matters. How will the Heat and the 76ers manage not having a home court advantage? Because they were terrible on the road, but unbelievable at home. How will no fans work to get that extra energy? Can the Celtics catch the Raptors for the number two seed? It's it's tasty. It's tasty. You got to love all that could still play out. And like I said, Miami Heat. You know, they had eight games remaining against eight teams that didn't qualify for the Disney restart. Miami is can't be too happy about what's about to happen. Miami plays Boston, Denver, Indiana, twice, Milwaukee, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, Toronto, and Phoenix. Those are tough games. Those are tough games, especially when you look at how those standings work out. They're the four seed. Both the Pacers and 76ers are just two games back. The Heat could drop all the way down to that six seed real quick and have a matchup against the Celtics or Toronto. That's not who you want to play in the first round. If you want to make a little playoff push, definitely not who you want to play. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for a lot of these teams. And like I said with the 76ers, 29-2 and two at home. 29 and 2. While on the road, 10 and 24. That's a huge discrepancy. Huge discrepancy. And I know the 76ers, they came out saying that they might start Simmons at the four and play him more as a point forward. Be interesting to see how that works. Horford moving to the bench, play him alongside MB on the block. Simmons just has to shoot. Really hope the guy just starts shooting the ball to take to open up that lane a little bit for Embiid. But as of right now, the way it's looking, they just they're not a, a great duo together. You would think they'd be a lot better, but Simmons just isn't willing to shoot. I would certainly hope when it comes around he'll be able to shoot. And I hearing a lot of people saying the 76ers are a deep playoff team. I don't know. And they don't have a lot of shooting. They don't have a lot of shooting. And when you were looking at that 76ers team specifically, they had the second worst road record of all 22 teams playing at Disney. The worst, the Wizards, shockingly enough. But only were had two less wins. Only had two less wins than the 76ers. And they have debatably two 
top 10 players out in the East in Simmons and Embiid. It's, it's just fantastic people. Two weeks. Two weeks. And we get to see it all break down on national television. We're going to get games 12, 8, 12 p.m. starting at noon to all the way going till 9 o'clock at night for that last game. Ah, I can't wait. I absolutely can't wait for it to restart. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And it's happening right in my backyard at or at Disney World in Orlando. I live in Orlando. I can't wait. Can't wait for this season to get restarted and back underway. Let's get it popping. Topic number two that I want to get to today is... Last episode, I talked about five sleeper teams in Major League Baseball who I think could surprise a lot of people. Now, I want to talk about who are currently, as far as Vegas has it, who are the five teams that have the best odds to win the World Series. So by that estimation, if you have great odds, you're considered the best teams coming into the season. This is who Vegas predicts. And we'll go off that. I'm okay going off the odds. So we'll start with the number one team. It's got to be a team that's come up short <laughs> the past two seasons in the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it just hasn't been just a few seasons. It's been a lot of seasons where they've come up short. They've lost two World Series, and uh, they lost to the Nationals last year, obviously, uh, before they even reached the World Series. But as of right now, the Dodgers have 72 odds to win the World Series. Uh, the lineup is going to be unbelievable. You know, they got Mookie Betts now. I'm seeing he's supposed to start. He's the projected starting leadoff hitter for them. I just They have the most depth of all the teams. By far the most depth. You just look at it, top to bottom. Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson, Corey Seager, Will Smith. The names go, the, just the names go on. They just have talent. And then you just look at that starting rotation. Still got Alex Wood, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw. You know, still got Kenley Jansen. They still got a nice bullpen. Of all the teams top to bottom, they have the most complete roster. With that DH rule, it's going to be a game changer for their lineup. It just, I, don't, I don't see any holes. I really don't see any holes with the Dodgers. You know, haven't won a championship since 1988. I'm sure this shortened season, only 60 games, Dodgers always get started hot. They always start hot and just come up short in the end. But with a shortened season, how could they not like it? How could they not like it? But we'll see. Yeah, 72 odds. 72 odds. They certainly have, I think, the most dangerous lineup. They got a great pitching staff, good good bullpen. They're going to be a problem out in the NL. Second team, the New York Yankees. The evil empire is back. Gosh, they did another team that just has hitters everywhere and the big sign. They got the big signing. They got the big free agent at Garrett Cole. And you just look at it. Their lineup is loaded. Swat 306 home runs in 2019, the second most all time. I didn't again, another just team of you just look at the hitters that they have. Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Gabriel Torres, Giancarlo Stanton. Gary Sanchez, Brent Gardner, Luke Vole. I don't no holes in the lineup. Absolutely no holes. It's really the pitching staff. It's the pitching staff. 
that's going to be the big, big thing here. I know Cole's going to be a Cy Young candidate for the foreseeable future for them. They also have James Paxson, Tanaka. I'm a big fan of Tanaka. He got hit by a line drive off Giancarlo Stan's bat, but he should be back. Um, at some point, they got J.A. Happ, Jordan Montgomery. You know, it's a solid rotation. You got to like the rotation. But they still got a good bullpen, too. Zach Britton, Chad Green. Yeah, they're just another team that just doesn't have many holes. Just not, not a lot of people who you're going to be like, eh, I'm glad he's coming to the plate, or I'm glad I get to face him on the mound. It's no. Everyone's pretty great on this team. Again, they have 72 odds, so really it goes back and forth. Yankees and Dodgers are the two top teams, and uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. You know, they got the most complete lineups, the most complete rotations. Just can they put it all together in this shortened season? The third team, team I'm not at, I think the most hated team in professional sports, and I know the coronavirus has caught in the way of this and distracted us from the fact that this team cheated but the Houston Astros as of right now had the third best odds 11 to 1 I hate the Astros so much I've I've talked about it so much early in the podcast and it needs to be brought up again this team cheated they cheated to win their World Series by banging on a trash can to steal pitches so they could know what pitch is coming and that 100% gives you more of an, an advantage than steroids and I've talked about this before. It's an unbelievable, unfair advantage that they had by doing this cheating scheme. They set up a camera in center field to zoom in on the catcher's signals, and they picked it up. And when they picked it up in real time, they would bang on a trash can to signal what pitch is what. If there was no bang, that means it's a fastball. If there's multiple bangs, that means it's a changeup. If it was three bangs, it'd be a curveball. And all these other things. It was absolutely... They should be embarrassed. And frankly, they got off scotch-free. Now that they don't get to play in front of fans, they don't get to hear the barrage of boos night in and night out. This team should be just rubbed in the dirt every night. They should be embarrassed, destroyed, talked about. And yet, no. It just gets brushed over because all of the news that we've had happen. We're just thankful that sports are coming back. And this team, I don't even want to talk about their lineup. Yeah, they have the third bets off to win. Cheaters. Cheaters. And I don't care what the report says. Why would you stop cheating? Uh, I'm sure they came up with a more sophisticated way to do it than to just keep banging on a trash can. But this team should be ridiculed and scolded for forever, for millennia. If As long as this core of Cora, yeah, excuse me, not Cora, Carrera, yeah, Altuve, oh, I just hate them so much. I hate the Astros. I absolutely hate it. They're just cheaters. I'll never see it any other way. They cheated. And they did it in an extreme way. And I know other teams were accused of doing this, but no other team got punished. But absolutely embarrassing. And this team is getting off scotch-free by not having to play in front of fans. And I'm sure, I really hope the players haven't forgot. I really hope the players haven't forgot. I hope the first Astros player that comes to the head gets 99 thrown at his dome. Because this team is a disgrace. 
They're a disgrace to baseball. And it's been something that's brushed over. And I understand the news cycle just, you know, shoved this under the rug and it's going to be forgotten. I won't forget. Because this team is an embarrassment to baseball. The Houston Astros, third best odds. (laughs) The fourth team is a team that I that I've been really surprised about because I'm kind of a fan of them, the Minnesota Twins, 14 to 1 odds. And they did a few things in the offseason. They were they were by far the best team in the AL Central last year. And now they brought in some nice veterans. They brought in Rich Hill, Kenta Minata, and also brought in Josh Donaldson after his surprise comeback year with the Atlanta Braves. It's a great, great offense. Still very potent. They had the MLB record with 307 long balls in 2019. Well positioned to still win that AL Central. I didn't, their lineup is nice. It's a tasty lineup. Max Kepler, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson, Mitch Graver, Luis Rivera, Miguel Sano. Uh, you know, Byron Buxton uh, did... He he did have an injury, but he said he should be good for opening day. Uh, I like this where this team is at. You know, the Twins twins are dangerous. Very dangerous, you know. It really comes down to the pitching, and they made moves. They added pitchers. They did what they needed to do. And that's that's what you got to do at this point. In a shortened season, you need the pitching. And they added the pitching. They added more depth on the offense, bringing in Donaldson. I think the Twins definitely, definitely have a great chance. 14-1 to 1 odds. Yeah, if I were to put money on a team and wanted to make a little money, this would be the team I'd put it on. 100% would be the team I'd put it on. Got to like where the Twins are at. Let's see if they can make it happen. And the fifth team, according to the odds, that is the best, is the Atlanta Braves at 15 to 1. Uh, they just have a young just a young stacked lineup. It, the line just look at the lineup. Acuna is a beast. Definitely going to be in contention for MVP this year. Uh, just I don't know you just look at this lineup all around. Swanson, you know Freddie Freeman, Actually, did Freeman opt out? I think actually Freeman opt out of playing this year. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I thought he did. They just have a lot of young arm, young hitters who are going to be great for the foreseeable future. You got to like what you're like what you see if you're an Atlanta Braves fan. A young up and coming team that showed that they can be successful just last year. Only going to get better with time. They're going to age like a fine wine. It's just only going to get better. Again, the most important thing is pitching. You know, the uh, starting rotation's okay, but the, the bullpen is dangerous, and sometimes all you need is a great bullpen to go deep into the playoffs. That's what you need. It's, just Mike Sorka, you know, he's an ace in the making. Kyle Wright, it just whoo. Albies, Ozzy Albies, he he's a beast. It's they just have a ton of guys who you just gotta like the potential of who are gonna be great for years to come. 
As a, if you were an Atlanta Braves fan, you got to be happy moving forward with your team. Got to be really happy. And I just have to mention something. Uh, my sixth man, the sixth best team with the best odds, yours, Chicago Cubs. Let's go Cubs. 20 to 1 odds. You know, they won the World Series in 2016, and we still have the same core intact. The same core that won that championship is still intact. I really... I like the Cubs' chances. I think they're going to win the division, and I think they can make a deep playoff run. Don't sleep on the Cubs, 20-1. to 1. Yeah, I would say those would be the two best bets. If I were going to put money down in Vegas, I'm not that much of a betting man, but if I were to bet, 14-1 to 1 odds with the Twins, 20-1 to 1 odds with the Cubs. Let me fly to Vegas real quick and put down a quick bet because that's the bet I'm making. Let's go Cubs. Let's go Twins. Run it back again, the five teams. Los Angeles Dodgers are the one. New York Yankees are two. The Houston Asterisks are three. Minnesota Twins at four. And the Atlanta Braves at five. And don't forget six-man Chicago Cubs. Moving on, topic number three. During this coronavirus pandemic, football season is approaching as quickly as the NBA season. Training camp is supposed to start at the end of the month. Now they've already canceled two preseason games. And the NFL has really had the luxury of time compared to all these other leagues. The other leagues have had to make things happen. You know, NBA had to go to a bubble. NHL had to go to a bubble. MLB is, they're starting up training camps at their own stadiums, but they don't, they're still figuring out how capacity at their stadiums are going to work and how all these logistics are putting it together. MLS is having their MLS's back tourney at Disney World as well. All these teams have had the luxury of time to be able to figure it out. Well, so is the NFL, but they don't have a lot of answers. They, I think they expected that the coronavirus would go down and start seeing less and less cases, and we could just go business as usual with the football season. That's not how it's going to work. Cases are going up. Cases are spiking in Florida, Arizona, California, Texas, big football places, and cases are on the rise all over the place. And the NFL, some teams have announced little capacity things, which at this point I guess is necessary. You know, it's been a lot of moving parts. First off, we'll start Philadelphia Eagles and the Phillies at that matter announced that they will have no fans for this coming season. Absolutely no fans for the whole season. I don't know what the, the decision was playoff-wise and if they were going to do anything, but that's what's been announced. No fans for the Philadelphia Eagles and for the Philadelphia Phillies. Kansas City announced for reduced capacity at Arrowhead Stadium during the 2020 season. Baltimore Ravens uh, followed suit in that, saying their home games will play host to less than 14,000 fans. Now, remember, these stadiums fit like over 60,000, 70,000 people. So that's very limited capacity. And, uh, you know, you can see what these what the teams are deciding here because the club cannot fairly reseat the entire season ticket base across a limited number of seats. All season ticket members will automatically have their 2020 payment credited for the 2021 season without any action on their part, keeping their payment as a credit towards the 2021 season, including the following benefits. Um, Season ticket holders will 
automatically include a single game pre-sale for any available seats in 2020 once the final capacity is determined. So the Chiefs haven't officially announced that what their capacity is, like the Ravens, but definitely going to have a limited capacity. I know as long the Patriots said as well, they're going to have only 20% capacity. It's just a lot of teams still figuring this out. A lot of teams are deciding, do we want to even take the hat? take the chance of having fans and it's definitely a thing of concern because lawsuits at the ready if someone were to already be pot already be negative and then go to a sporting event come back a day later and then be test positive for the coronavirus you know instant lawsuits so i imagine these teams have to have waivers they have to do something and it's just unfortunate now i gotta tell you as a sports fan I'd like to consider myself pretty healthy, stay in good shape. I tested negative for the coronavirus. Uh, not to say I can't get it, knock on wood, but at this point, haven't gotten it and, you know, haven't really put myself at risk. But if I knew I could go to a sporting event tomorrow and they made me sign a waiver, um, making sure that I couldn't sue the team uh, if I were to catch the coronavirus, so I'm, I'm signing the waiver. I'm going to the game. I want to go to live sports again. Maybe I'm out of touch, but that's what I want to do. Uh, I'm really trying to go to sporting events again. I'd be happy to go to a limited limited capacity game. Let's go. Let's get it started, people. I'm trying to make it happen. I'm trying to come to a game. Now, I live here in Florida, so I'd certainly love to go see the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'd even pay to go watch the embarrassment that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I might even put money on the team that has been atrocious the past few years in the Miami Dolphins. I think they're going to turn it around a little bit with Tua and Brian Flores is a solid coach, but they've been an embarrassment. I'd pay to go see them. Yeah, I really hope that the NBA at some point maybe considers allowing a few fans to come to Orlando. Hey, sign me up. I'm right here. Let's go. I pay money also. It's whatever waiver you need me to sign. I'll wear my mask. I'll wash my hands. I'll bring my hand sanitizer. I'm ready to go. But you can see this is the direction that they're moving. Limited capacity. That's how it's going to be for the NFL. And at this point, until there's a vaccine, that's what these sporting venues and events are going to be for the foreseeable future. It's going to be limited capacity everywhere. It just has to be. It's just the state we're in with this pandemic here in the United States. It's un- It's unfortunate. I wish the numbers would go down so we could actually go get back to normalcy. But at this point, we're not getting back to normalcy anytime soon. So let's at least do something to make it enjoyable on our end and allow us to go to sports in a limited capacity for those who are willing to put themselves at risk. I'm willing to put myself at risk because I trust I can keep myself healthy. Maybe the other people around me can't, but yeah, I wash my hands. I can wear a mask. I can do the things that need to be done. So let's get back to sports. Let's get back to these events. I'm ready. Let's go. So limited capacity there for the NFL. And now fourth topic that I want to get to, a little sport, college sports update. And a lot of things are changing in college sports. I talked about it last time. The Big Ten officially announced that they will go to conference only uh, for the coming football season. And that was reported a week ago. And I imagine all these other conferences are going to follow suit. All of them are going to follow suit. ACC, Pac-12, SEC, Big 12, they're all going to make the move. 
It's going to be conference only. It's just the way it's going to work. That's just how it's going to happen. But some other big things that are happening along with college sports, the Ivy League canceled the 2020 season. They won't have sports until 2021. Now, you might say it's the Ivy League and, you know, they're not on TV. They don't matter much. Like, who are the Dartmouths, the Princetons, the Harvards of athletics? Yeah, they're not much. But that means that they're not even taking the chance. Like, they're just like, we're not having sports until next year to when we might know that things are going to be a little safer with the possible vaccine. It's just, it's going to be a huge change in the landscape of college sports moving forward. Uh, with this pandemic. So, like I said, Ivy League canceled the season. Stanford, the University of Stanford, cut 11 sports for budgeting issues. They don't have the budget. If the University of Stanford, I used to live there. I worked at a school called Menlo College, lived right there in that area, lived right down the street from Stanford, would spend a decent amount of time on the campus over there because it's an absolutely beautiful campus. If you're ever in that area, I'd recommend going checking it out because it's an unbelievably beautiful campus. And you could just see the money is there. You could just see that campus is loaded with money and they're not short of it. Yet they canceled 11 sports. 11. They, they just can't sustain it. And if a school like that is canceling sports, it's. I couldn't imagine what some of these mid-majors are going through. My fine university, Bowling Green State, they were going to cancel baseball. Uh, It was already announced. It was like, we're canceling baseball for the foreseeable future. The baseball program is canceled. And yet alumni and boosters stepped in and raised $1.2 million to keep the baseball program going. And that's what it's going to need to keep these programs going. Alumni are going to have to step up and pitch money back to the programs that they played for. I just know a lot of schools have got to be struggling right now with money and how they're going to be able to fund these athletic programs, especially if they're not making money off season tickets and ticket sales. How are they going to afford to keep these programs going? If no one's allowed to attend the games, what are they going to do? It's... Times times are a changing in college athletics. Embrace yourself. Another thing that happened: Ohio State suspended workouts. Coronavirus cases are up. You know, Clemson. The last thing I saw, this goes with Clemson University. They had what, like thirty-seven players test positive for the coronavirus. I don't know what the updated numbers are, but that's a report I saw. That's a that's a lot of cases. How are you going to control these college athletes when they're back on campus? College students. College students are going to party. I, re- I was just in college a few years ago. I remember if I had a little cough or, you know, maybe a little scratchy throat or something, it's, I'm still going to go party on the weekend. I'm sorry. I'm still going to go out. I'm still going to enjoy my life as a college student and the freedom that I have. Yet now, oh, you know, college students think they're invincible. With this coronavirus, oh, it's just a little cough. I'll be fine. Oh, I'm sneezing. Oh, I don't have a sense of smell. It's just this outbreak could grow in huge numbers when college campuses come back. And I know schools have already announced it. I worked at FGCU. I know they're having athletes come back August 1st. 
they're, they're having students back on campus with these other schools. They're going to have students back on campus. You think just by the university saying, oh, n- no large gatherings, you think students are going to listen to that? Absolutely no chance. Absolutely no chance that's going to happen. You can't control these kids. You just can't control it. So at this point, I think the Ivy League had the right idea and already deciding, yeah, we're not going to have sports. We're not going to have sports until next year, probably till there's for sure a vaccine out there that they're able to use until we can control this a little bit. We can do as much as we can, social distance, do all these other things. That can't happen at these big stadiums if you want the student section full and loud. You can't social distance in the student section. You can't social distance at a football game with crowds of 100,000 people. There's no such thing as social distancing there. Are they going to go to limited capacity? I don't think these college stadiums want that. I think they want as large a capacity as they can possibly have. And to know that they're already going conference only, I think it's only a matter of time before they announce more steps and what they're going to do as far as capacity. And I wonder if they're even going to have sports this fall. Uh, I don't know if they're going to. At this point, as a betting man, like I said, I don't bet like that, but gosh, I have a hard time believing they're going to have college athletics. But I would actually, you know, I'd bet, I'd bet that they will play. I bet they will play. Some teams will have college athletics going this coming fall. But I'd be okay if they push, you know, football specifically to the spring. I don't have a problem with spring football. We've already tried to make it work with the XFL and the AAF. You know, why don't we move college football to that time? You know, people might say, oh, there's inclement weather in some places. You couldn't possibly do that. Eh. Yeah, maybe. But is the weather really that big a deal? Frankly, people like snow games. People like inclement weather games. People are a fan of watching that. So I don't see what the problem was if they were to postpone college athletics and college football until the spring of 2021. You know, it's not what you want to hear as a sports fan, but maybe that's the necessary thing that they need to do to secure the safety and well-being of the college athletes. Because that's just... That just might be something that they have to do uh, for these players. Yeah, you got to keep them healthy. Got to keep them safe. It's just something that needs to be done. And I don't know if they'll be able to do it, especially if they plan on, you know, workouts are going out. Voluntary workouts are going on right now. That's what's happening on college campuses. And yet guys are already testing positive and they're in high risk areas like the University of Miami, high risk area. SU, high-risk area. Clemson, high-risk area. A lot of these places are high-risk area for these athletes. So fingers crossed these universities figure it out so we can have college athletics at some point here because sports are coming back, but it would certainly be nice to watch college athletes perform as well. So topic number five that I want to get to is the Washington football team. Their name too, but... You thought this circus was over with this team? Oh, no. This circus is just getting started. I'm seeing today, Dan Snyder was um, trending on Twitter, 
and I was wondering why. So I clicked on it, and uh, there was just a bunch of things. And something that I found on Pro Football Focus was the Washington Post is supposedly working on a report about the Washington football team, and it has yet to be published. Uh, the anticipation has reached fever pitch with Dan Schneider trending on Twitter and speculations running rampant regarding the basis of the report. So a lot of things are going on with this with the Redskins. First of all, I believe it was their uh, their 16 year guy play by play announcer um, resigned, and then they also fired two guys in this um, on their scouting team. So. That's already, you know, a bit of a red flag to just after saying that they're going to change the team name, that these guys happen to leave the organization just before this report is going to come out. The two front office personnel, uh, Alex Santos and Richard Mann II, were fired over the weekend and no reason was given. And like I said, uh, Larry Michael, the longtime uh, radio voice of the team, also announced his um, retirement. So uh, the team didn't comment or release any type of statement wishing him well or thanking him for his service. So something's up. Something is going on over there and with this football team. Oh, you just, you thought it couldn't get any worse? Oh, and apparently uh, I'm seeing something where Adam Schefter is saying that the, the culture of this team is just terrible. Uh, People are just speculating everything at this point, but I'm going to trust Adam Schefter. He says that this report is going to shock some people and open some eyes. And, oh boy, and apparently it's a bombshell report. I'm very excited for this. I'm very excited for the destruction of this team. They deserve it. You want to talk about karma coming full circle? You know, Dan Snyder was adamant in the past of like, we're never changing the team name. Never going to do that. Never going to happen. You can put that in all caps. Sure enough, oh, once those corporate dollars start interfering, you know, FedEx is like, we're going to pull out on our stadium deal. Nike doesn't have Washington Redskins apparel on their website. Amazon takes down their apparel from their website. When all these companies start, you know, affecting the pocketbooks of the people in charge. Oh, that's when change will come. You know, Dan Schneider wasn't worried about the people that he was offending with the team in their racist name. No, no. Once it started to affect his checkbook, he was like, all right, we need to reconsider. Now this report that's going to come out, well, when's it come out? I can't wait to read it. Because apparently, bombshell. I read something to where it's possible that Dan Schneider and John Gruden um, had sex with cheerleaders and they'd have sex parties at just a lot of malpractice. And they would even, you know, sell off in quotations cheerleaders to season ticket holders to hook up with. Uh, like, if that's true, oh boy. Oh goodness. This team's in trouble. Oh, this, oh, this, if that's happening in this day and age, oh my goodness. It's oh, it is going to be a disaster for this team. Dan Snyder would have to step down if that's the case. If that kind of malpractice is going down, oh, there, there you best believe there will be outcry that he needs to step down as the owner of the Washington Football Team. And at this point, that's what we need to call them because they're no longer the Redskins. That will no longer be their name. Oh, it's just, this is just. It, 
you want, like I said, karma just comes full circle. You know, you think you're going to get off scot-free. Yes, we're just going to change the name. It's just going to be so nice. No, 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 no. You're in trouble. Like this, uh, it's going to be a real busy week. It's going to be real busy week, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty for this team. And you're just seeing what some of these people in that area are talking about. It's Julie Donaldson, NBC Sports Washington on Tuesday. What's coming is disappointing and sad. Oh, boy. So these reporters already know. Uh, The people with inside sources to this organization already know the kind of information that's about to be dropped. Uh Uh-oh. I can't wait for it. I'm excited for the next sports scandal. Oh boy, what were the Redskins up to? What was this embarrassment of an organization for the past few years up to? When have the Redskins been good? And that's how it always looks at sports. When your team isn't good, where does it start? It starts from the top. Uh, the owner is bad. The owner is an idiot, Dan Schneider. I'm sure he's a smart business guy. How else did he make all the money to be able to pay for an NFL team? Clearly, he knows a little something about something. Doesn't mean he's a good person. And from what the report and what people are talking about this report, apparently he's not a good person at all. From Scott Abraham of ABC7, there is so much going on, then a name change, and it's not good. I did not get specifics, but get ready, people. Oh, oh, I'm ready. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to talk about the dismantling of the Washington football team. It just gets it just gets better and better, people. <laughs> and clearly something's up if we're firing two guys and another guy somehow retires and the team's not wishing the play-by-play guy of 16 years well wishes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Grab the popcorn. Stay tuned. Because it's coming. And I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, let's get it popping. And for my unpopular opinion today, we're going to stay on the football side of things. So I talked about one particular guy who I think should be a surefire Hall of Famer. His name is Eli Manning. And there's another guy who's kind of in the same breath um, as Eli, but has nowhere near as many accolades. And his name is Philip Rivers. And I'm going to say this right here. Philip Rivers is not a Hall of Famer. And I saw... A lot of things of, oh, comparing Eli to, oh, this guy. They they named a few guys who are still playing right now that are surefire Hall of Famers over Eli Manning. Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. And I was like, okay, those are some unbelievable quarterbacks. Yep, those are surefire Hall of Famers. And in that same sentence, they also listed Phillip Rivers as a surefire Hall of Famer. And I just... I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was reading, that Philip Rivers is a surefire Hall of Famer. He should not be a Hall of Famer. 15 NFL seasons without winning a championship. He hasn't even appeared in a Super Bowl. And if he ever does, it's not happening until he's 38, 39, 40. And I don't think he's going to do that. He's, he's not that good. He's not that good. Now, first, let's talk about the great things that Phillip Rivers has done. Eighth highest rated passer in NFL history. Only five quarterbacks in league history have thrown for more touchdowns than Phillip Rivers. Only six post-merger quarterbacks have averaged more yards per pass 
attempt, only seven have more passing yards, and only eight have a higher completion percentage. Phillip Rivers is great stat-wise. No, he puts up really nice numbers. But another part about being a Hall of Famer is winning. You need to win. You have to be a winner. Like, yeah, all those numbers are real special, but if it happens when you're on a losing record team, does it really matter? No. In 13 seasons as an NFL starter, Rivers has won just five playoff games. Let me repeat that. 13 seasons as an NFL starter, five, he's won five playoff games. That's it. That's it. He's been to just one AFC championship game. Forget about not making the Super Bowl. He's been to one AFC championship game. And that was a two-score road loss to the New England Patriots 11 years ago. Huh? So think about that. His most successful thing that he's ever done as far as playoff success happened 11, 12 years ago when they lost to the New England Patriots in a two-score road loss. He owns a sub-60 completion percentage uh, in, a, in the postseason. Sub-85 passer rating in 11 career postseason outings. That means he has a losing record in the playoffs. That means he's got five wins, six losses. Ugh. He's just you know, overrated. Overrated. All those regular season numbers mean absolutely nothing if he can't have any postseason success. And the postseason success that he had... 11, 12 years ago in the AFC Championship game. That's as far as he's made it. And when it comes to being a Hall of Famer, you got to beat the greats. Like I said with Eli, he beat the team that was going to go down as the greatest football team ever in the New England Patriots if they won that Super Bowl and would have gone 19-0. They would have been one of two undefeated teams ever, and they would have had more wins, and they would have had the greatest offense of all time with Tom Brady and Randy Moss. But Eli Manning beat them. And not only did he beat them once, Eli Manning went out there and beat him twice. Beat them twice, 07 and 2011. Eli Manning did that. And what has Phillip Rivers done against the perceived GOAT in Tom Brady? He's 0-8. He's never beaten Brady. Phillip Rivers has never beaten Brady. Not once. 0-8. And let's not even get taught... And let's talk about the talent that has been around him. Let's not act like, let's just say that he's managed to do all these incredible numbers and it's just like, oh, he didn't have that much talent around him. Huh? No. Superstar. Ladanian Tomlinson. Antonio Gates. Sean Merriman. Antonio Cromartie. Jamal Williams. Chris Dooley. Marcus Mealman. Uh, the talent's been there. Oh, And even before he went to the Colts, think about the talent that he's had recently on the Chargers. Keenan Allen, Melvin Gordon, still had Antonio Gates, Hunter Henry, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa. His teams have been stacked. His teams have been so good with talent. And what has he done? Five playoff wins. That's it. Five playoff wins. 0-8 against Brady. Like There's a reason the Chargers moved on. There's a reason. He struggled last year. He wasn't that great. What did he throw, 20 interceptions? He took a step back last year, and yet somehow the Colts still managed to dish out $25 million for him. I just don't believe it. 
And do the Colts really believe that Phillip Rivers is the guy to carry them over the threshold and win a Super Bowl? I don't see it. I don't see it. As time takes its toll on our ability to recollect his many seemingly unforgettable regular season feats, Tomlinson is at risk of fading at least marginally from our memories. Those who were lucky enough to watch him in his prime might know better, but Super Bowl and playoff moments are key artifacts of consciousness that football fans of future generations will seek. That's according to the person who wrote an article that I'm reading right here, and his name is Brad Gagnon, and he works for Bleacher Report. And gosh, he couldn't put it any better. Latanian Tomlinson is one of the best running backs ever, but he never had playoff success. And he never had playoff success because his quarterback was never any good. Phillip Rivers, all those nice, beautiful regular season stats go for nothing. When you only win five playoff games, go to one AFC championship game, and have never beaten Tom Brady. Never. He's never done it. One divisional playoff. One divisional playoff victory. One Zero conference titles, no Super Bowl appearances. Where is the marquee moment? Where is the marquee thing that you could say, he's a definitive Hall of Famer? Okay, get rid of the stats. What has he done? What has he done? You can do it for everyone else. You can do it for Brady. Well, he's won six Super Bowls. Peyton Manning, he's won two Super Bowls. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers, he won a Super Bowl. Super Bowl MVP. There's so, all these other guys who are for sure surefire Hall of Famers have, all have other things other than stats to encompass their career. And what does Philip Rivers has? He's got some really nice numbers. He's got some really nice numbers and not a lot of success to go with those numbers. I, ju- I just don't see it. I really don't understand how, how people can consider him a surefire Hall of Famer when he retires. Is it because he's nice because he doesn't cuss? Is that why? Is that what we look at because he's a, he's a nice guy? I don't see it. I, I, I just scratch my head when people say he's a surefire Hall of Famer. These other legends of the game have gone up and beaten Brady. They've done it. Just look at Manning. He went up against Brady. He beat him a couple times. And it's not fair to compare everyone to Tom Brady, but when you're the GOAT and still playing and still going, you know, that's that's where it is. You know, you go with the GOAT and how you did against the GOAT at this point. You know, did Aaron Rodgers go against him? No, but he won a Super Bowl in his own right. Ben Roethlisberger, Steelers went up years where they won a Super Bowl. Hell, even Joe Flacco went up and won a Super Bowl in the Patriots era. Phillip River mm, hasn't done nothing. Has done diddly squat. I just, I just really have a hard time believing it. You know, it, it would really help if he ever had an MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, even if maybe first, second All Pro. Nope, nope, hasn't done that neither. Hasn't done that either. So if you look at it, what are his accolades? What has Philip Rivers done for me to believe that he should be in the Hall of Fame? Oh, he's made the AP, he's made the Pro Bowl eight times. That's cute. He was 
2013 Comeback Player of the Year. That's it. That's it, people. That's all he's done. Went 5-11 and last year. Chargers have talent. They're a talented team. 5-11. and Just, what am I missing? Please tell me something. What am I missing? And on that, we're going to have to end it. Phillip Rivers is not a Hall of Famer. Thanks for listening. Until next time, more episodes are coming. Stay tuned. Keep on keeping on, people. And remember, during this pandemic, wash your damn hands. All right, I'm out. Peace. Peace.